praise team. That was uh, very wonderful this morning, and uh, I love it when both of our congregations come together. The singing is just so rich and so full, and our voices fill this place with the praises of God, and uh, you feel moved in your spirit towards the Lord, I know, as I have this morning. And so, thank you again, Julie, and each member of the praise team. I'd like to begin with a statement on the screen, and I I wonder if you would agree with this. Attitude changes everything. Now, you might say to me this morning, well, you know, that sounds very good, but I'm not sure it's true. Um, Attitude won't necessarily change circumstances, no matter how I feel. Bad things still happen. An attitude won't necessarily change people. Some people are still going to be difficult, no matter our attitude to them. And so I think this actually needs to be adjusted. And I think uh, the words of a very well-known poet by the name of Maya Angelou change this in a way that I would say, now I agree with this. Now I don't agree with everything that Maya Angelou said or wrote, But I think she was right on target when she said this, if you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change your attitude. Now isn't that closer to the truth? Isn't it? When we can't change things, our only option is to change our attitude. And when that's the only option given to us, then I think it is true, attitude changes everything. Uh, In my former church, our secretary had Chuck Swindoll's famous dictum in our church office. And uh, this is uh, a little summary of that famous dictum. This is what Pastor Swindoll said. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. Now, how do we develop the right attitude? Well, Pastor Swindoll says you choose the right attitude. That's what you do. And the Bible agrees with that. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to the little book of James, chapter 1. If you'd like to take the chair Bible in front of you, it's page 1199. And I want you to notice how James says the same thing that Pastor Swindoll says You choose your attitude. Look what he says and how he opens up verse 2 of James chapter 1. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, the very first word, count, that's a term that refers to the mind. It means to think, it means to consider, it means to regard. One Bible teacher says about this word, it calls for the conscious acceptance of a definite inner attitude. So notice, right from the get-go, we are told to adopt an attitude of joy in the midst of our problems. And our question is how? How? 
Well, this morning, that's what the half-brother of Jesus, James, wants to answer for us. If we think this is impossible to adopt an attitude of joy no matter what is happening, James says, I want to show you as a Christian how you may do that. And so this morning, as we continue uh, in this little section here of the book of James, we want to talk about how attitude changes everything. Let's take a moment and let's pray. Because all of us need this. Father, Your Word is true. It's dependable. It reflects the character of the God that we trust. And yet sometimes it tells us things that seem to go against reality. And the very things we experience. And so, it is by faith that we believe You and follow You. We walk not by sight, we walk by faith. And we allow You to be our teacher. And we believe that You are true, that You are righteous, You are good. And therefore, whatever You say is for our good. And so guide us now into the teaching of Your Word that we might love You more and follow You better. For Jesus' sake, Amen. I want you to notice as we look at what James tells us, the first thing he says is this is what we must focus on. We must focus on the opportunities that the trials of our life bring, not just the obstacles. When he says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, the word trials here is a reference to obstacles, adversities, hardships, afflictions. And these troubles are painful, they are hard to bear, and most of the time we think they block the road to our happiness. Yet James says, in the midst of these very things, we are to adopt a joyful outlook. And we just want to say, James, how? How do we do that? Well, the first thing we need to understand here is the word for joy is actually a figure of speech. And it's very important we understand this. It is a figure of speech that is called a metonymy, which means a change of name. Now, all of us know that a synonym is a similar name. We know an antonym is an opposite name, but a metonymy is a change of name. It is where you substitute one thing for another, like an effect for the cause of the effect. You recall how the angels came to the shepherds and they say, I announce to you a great joy. Joy is put for the birth of Christ. So joy is the effect, the cause is what produces the joy, some event or some occasion. So now understanding that, we come to James 1 verse 2, and it literally has this idea, count it all an occasion for joy. I love the way the New Living Translation puts it. Whenever trouble comes your way, 
Let it be an opportunity for joy. Now, brothers and sisters, this explains to us how we can have a joyful attitude in the midst of painful troubles. It is not that the event itself is joyful. The Bible is not saying that pain all by itself is a good thing and we should thank the Lord for the pain itself. Rather, the idea is this. The event is an opportunity for something else. And that something else will be joyful. That's what trials are like for Christians. They are an opportunity that leads to something else that will lead to joy. Uh, There's an unknown author that puts it this way, and I, I wish I could give the unknown author credit because this is so very true. The unknown author says this, an obstacle is often an unrecognized opportunity. For Christians, change the word often to always. If you're a Christian... An obstacle is always an unrecognized opportunity. And what James says to us in the words of the New International Version is this leads to pure joy. You know what pure joy is? It is joy that is unmixed. It is joy without bitterness. Joy without anger. Joy without resentment. You see, we can be weeping because of the pain that we're experiencing, but we can also have joy because we know God has a plan. Amen this morning? So you can be weeping because you're in horrible circumstances, but you can have joy because you know God has a plan. One of the pastors in history that knew pain very much was this man on the screen. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And you know that uh, he opposed Hitler and the Nazis. Eventually, he was imprisoned. And one morning in prison, he was let out to the gallows and he was hung. He was hung just a few days before Hitler committed suicide. He almost made it through the war. Before war broke out, Bonhoeffer was in the United States and his friends urged him to stay in this country. They said, stay here and you will be safe. But what Bonhoeffer did was he decided, I'm going to return to Germany anyway, knowing full well what it could lead to. And listen to what he reasoned. He said, I have come to the conclusion that I must live through this difficult period in our national history with the people of Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. And he went back. You are looking here this morning at a man of extraordinary courage. You're looking at a man of deep resolve. 
and a man of great faith. And I want you to notice what he said out of his own experience about pain. Look what he said. Pain is a holy angel who shows us treasures that would otherwise remain hidden forever. Brothers and sisters, that's where joy comes from. In the midst of a trial, it is realizing this trial is an opportunity for treasures that would otherwise remain hidden forever. And that's why we can have joy in the midst of our trials. And let's notice the second reason that James gives to us. Number two. Second reason we can have joy is by focusing on the big picture, not just the little picture. Um, I have a a smartphone here uh, in front of me, and aren't these smartphones amazing? Uh, when it comes to pictures, you know what I can do? I can narrow in by enlarging the picture on the smartphone, and I can just see one element. But then if I want to see the whole picture, I can just take my fingers, and I can broaden out, and I can see the entire scope of the picture. Smartphones can narrow in and broaden out. How many think life is like that? How many think life is like that? You see, we can focus on one thing, the little picture, or we can focus on the big picture of our lives. You see, if we focus on the little picture, then what it does, it obscures all the rest. But if we focus on the big picture, everything is put into perspective. Do you know what verse 3 here is? Verse 3 is the big picture. It is God's view of our troubles. Look at it. Look at verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now you know what this is giving to us this morning? This is giving to us God's view of our troubles. God's view of our troubles. And I'm going to ask our uh, man back in the booth if he would just activate this screen so that I can bring this up in front of you this morning and show to you God's view of our troubles. You see the power that I have this morning? But this is the reason for joy. And don't miss it. Number one, trials test our faith. When he says in verse 2, count it all joy in the midst of these trials, the word trials there mean tests. The idea is distresses that test us. That's the idea. Now Peter says in the wisdom that God gave to him that our faith is more precious than gold. And, dear ones, something that important has to be tested. 
If our faith is more precious than gold, and gold is one of the most precious metals we have, then our faith has to be tested. Is it real? Is it genuine? Will it last? And then notice the second thing that is God's view of our trials. Trials prove our faith. When he says, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, the word testing there means to learn the genuineness of something by examination. It's the idea of proving something by examining it. So verse 3 could read, you know that the act of proving, the act of proving. Um, how many of you know that there are a number of ways to answer this question? I would assume that there's a lot of uh, wives here this morning who have diamonds on your finger. Uh, do you know if it's real or not? Okay, do you? Do you know one way that you can decide whether a diamond is real or fake is you do this. You heat them up, and you place them in water. Now before that test, both of them will sparkle, and the untrained eye sometimes cannot tell the difference. But after the test, guess which one sparkles alone? The diamond. And by being heated up, and submerged in water, it proves which is real and which is fake. I want you to listen to how Pastor John MacArthur applies this here. It is so helpful. Our Heavenly Father, the expert jeweler, plunges us like a diamond into turbulent waters boiling waters, to see if our faith sparkles or not. If our faith sparkles in love to Jesus and a willingness to follow Him, even through pain and adversity, then God shows us and others that we have something very special, a growing, maturing faith that He approves. How many here this morning think, A growing, maturing faith that God approves is something very special. How many think that's true? Yeah. And how many think, no matter the pain that I must go through, to get to that place where I have a maturing, growing faith that God approves is worth whatever I must go through? And how many think it's a cause for joy? Of course it is. Of course it is. Now James gives us one final reason why we can adopt this kind of an attitude. Number three. We must focus on the gains. Not just the losses. Look what he says. Let steadfastness have its full effect 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, all of us know a very famous statement, no pain, no... I've often wondered who was the first one that ever said that. And guess who said it? Benjamin Franklin. Okay? Look what Benjamin Franklin said. Let's read it together. There are no gains without pains. Uh, Do you know uh, Benjamin Franklin was not a Christian? But he was a pretty smart guy. And he knew what James is teaching us here. Now what are the gains that come with the pains if we will remain steadfast? What are those gains? Well, here's two of them. Number one, pain can make us strong. The word steadfast here is a very important word. It's used twice. Faith produces steadfastness. And then he says, let steadfastness have its full effect. It means endurance, perseverance. It is actually a word that is made up of two words. It means to remain under. To remain under. And the picture of this word is being under a heavy load and resolutely staying there instead of trying to escape. Do you feel that way today? If I could say, how many of you right now feel like you're under a heavy load and you want to just escape, but you can't? That's what this word means. One Bible teacher says it is staying power. You know what another pastor says? James is talking about toughness. The testing of your faith produces toughness. And then notice the second thing that it produces. Pain can make us mature. These two words, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, are very interesting words. They were terms applied to animals. Perfect meant an animal that was fully grown and no longer a baby. Uh, We have a cat now in our house who is uh, fully grown. Uh, when he came to us, he was just uh, maturing, and, and he's fully grown. It was kind of funny this morning. I'd let him out into the garage because he's got so much energy. I forgot he was out there. I went out to snowblow, and when I started that snowblower, I mean, all of a sudden I thought, Did, was that a rabbit that just ran out of my garage? And he's now fully grown, no longer a baby. Complete? That meant an animal that had all of its parts and was not deformed. How many have ever seen a three-legged dog? We had a cat that had gnats and we had to have surgery and so forever after it had an ear that was collapsed. The word for complete here means an animal that has all of its parts and is not deformed. So you know what it's referring to? It means a believer who has become fully grown in the Lord and therefore is mature in character. By the way, do you know some people like that? Fully grown in the Lord and mature in character. And you say, how'd they get that way? They got that way through trials. 
You do not get fully grown in the Lord and mature in character without trials. That's what James is saying. See, here's what happens. Trials force us to choose. We have to choose God's way or the world's way. Always those choices are there. I'm under this heavy load. There's the world's way that I can slip out from underneath it and the pressure will be gone. But I'm under this load and it doesn't seem to be a right way to get out of this. There's only a wrong way. So I have to stay here under the pressure for God's time and God's purpose and God's plan. Those two choices are always there. And we remain strong when we choose God's way. And we choose God's way. We will always develop character. So you have a boyfriend. And your boyfriend says to you, I think we should become sexually active. And he angrily says to you, if you don't, I will find a girl who will. And what do you do? You remain strong and you choose purity over impurity. Your boyfriend breaks up with you. But in your loss, you've gained sexual purity. You know what happens to him if he stays that way? He remains immature and morally compromised. But you become what? Mature and complete. A woman of virtue. How many think being a woman of virtue is far better than compromising with a boy who does not have virtue? I think we all know. Or how about this? There's discouragements in your ministry. People quit on you and they don't follow through. And so you say, who needs this? Why should I bother? But you decide, I'm going to keep serving for Jesus' sake even though others do not. You know what you lose? An easy and comfortable life. But what do you gain? Faithfulness? Purpose? an ability to stay focused on Jesus, you are becoming mature and complete. You lose your job. And there's no immediate replacement in sight. As time drags on, you feel irritable, downcast, and frustrated. But for your family's sake, you decide, I'm going to remain encouraging, helpful, and I'm going to be a blessing to them. Now, you know what you've lost? You've lost control over your circumstances. But you know what you've gained? Control over your moods. You are becoming mature and complete. And those are always the choices. Always the choices. Stay under the trial, doing the will of God, not taking the easy way out, and I will become strong and mature, or run out of the will of God, 
allow the pressure to cause me to cave and to compromise and lose out on maturity and character. And I think all of us agree. Maturity and character is far greater than the easy way out. Um, Do you see this little baby chick on the screen struggling to hatch? Isn't that just the cutest thing you've ever seen? Uh, Let me ask you this question this morning. What happens if you decide, poor baby little chick, so hard getting out of that egg? I think I'll help. And you help the chick get out of the egg. Anybody know what is likely to happen? Very likely, you have killed the chick. And you know why? The chick needs a struggle, doesn't it? You know, one of the things that happens as the chick struggles to get out, its circulation works harder. And when the chick gets out and the circulation has worked harder, the chick is able to keep itself warm. But without the struggle, the circulation would not work hard and the chick would not be able to keep itself warm and all of us know that the chick develops strength during the hatching and without that strength it can be weak sick and vulnerable how many think God knows what he's doing with chicks You don't seem convinced this morning. (laughs) How many think God knows what He's doing with chicks? (laughs) Does God know what He's doing with you? You don't look very convinced of that either. Of course He does. He allows us to learn from the struggles of life so that we might be healthy and mature. And knowing that's the goal makes us joyful now, right? Knowing that's the goal makes us joyful even though we may be crying on the outside. Let's thank the Lord, shall we? And let's recommit to a growing, maturing faith that God approves. Let's bow together in prayer. As her heads are bowed and her eyes are closed,
Some of us today are going through deep waters. And we're under the heavy load. And the pressure seems hard to bear. If that's you, would you right now in your heart of hearts, quietly, silently, just to yourself and God, say, Lord, I believe you know what you're doing. I believe you've allowed this trial, though I don't like it. And Lord, I'm committed to you. I'm not going to do what's wrong. I'm not going to sin and take the easy way out. I'm not going to listen to the voice of Satan who says, if you'll just do it this way, it won't be so hard. Lord, I will not do that. But as Your will shows me the path that I must go through, and even though that path is hard and difficult and I may not understand it, I'm committed to doing what You desire for me. And Lord, I'm going to leave the outcome to You. But I'm going to remain steadfast, trusting You, letting You teach me. And I know come what may, I will gain maturity and completeness. I will be more like Jesus. And that's my deepest longing. And if this trial will make me more like Jesus, I will count it all joy. I will count it all joy. Father, we are your suffering people. We are hurting. There are things we don't understand. The hardships of life fall on the people of God just as much as anyone else. But we have a difference, Lord. We have a God who we can trust, who has our good at heart, and will take us through and make us like Himself. And there's no greater joy than being like Jesus. We affirm that. We believe that. We are committed to Him. For His wonderful sake. Amen.